Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, good people, inhabitants of planet Earth, both born and domestic, welcome to the Dear Human Paradox. I'm your host, Darius Riddick, and I would like to thank you for joining me once again in what is nominally, excuse me, the next stage of evolution for humankind. And uh, you could be anywhere. You could be anywhere doing anything at all, but you are here. And for that, I am grateful. I thank you. I appreciate it um, because it says a lot about vision and it says a lot about truth. But before we get started on this day in history, April 23rd, 1564, William Shakespeare was born. And there are so many things that we can say about that. But, but before we before we even discuss really the intricacies of why I mentioned that, it's isn't it fascinating when a piece of literature or the name of a person uh, withstands the test of time? Like, let's put it into perspective, okay? 1564 to 2023. I'm not good at math, but that's a little bit under 500 years, right? Maybe 470 or something like that. I don't know. Um, how many humans have lived and died over 470 years, almost, let's, let's say five centuries. How many humans truly have lived over that period of time? And for so many bodies of literature by William Shakespeare to have survived the, the test of time is just, it's phenomenal. It's fascinating, such a creative mind and such, you know, uh, uh, how the literature is historically applicable through almost every decade over those uh, five centuries. And if you're not familiar with William Shakespeare work, I, I man, wake up. <laughs> but seriously, it's about time that you uh, expand your horizons and dive into his bodies of work. I mean, because you, you'd be surprised how many shows on Netflix or how many shows on Amazon Prime or Apple TV or HBO Max or MGM Plus, whatever streaming service you have, or if you watch on YouTube TV, any application, every application, really, I feel pretty comfortable saying that, even though I don't really speak in absolutes, has some uh, translation of Shakespearean work. And whether that be from a, a colonial sense or an ethnic sense or a philosophical sense or a, a, an athletic piece of literature. I mean, there's so many different Shakespearean plays that uh, have been made into modern applications. I mean, the biggest one that most people I imagine are familiar with, Romeo and Juliet. I mean, that's almost five centuries old in itself, but still, they're like the Titanic. They're different, uh, Greece, uh, uh, West Side Story. There are many uh, translations of the whole idea of um, romanticism and, and Shakespearean romanticism, I should say, uh, King Lear, Macbeth, um, that's uh, the taming of the shrew, o Othello, the merchant of Venice. Um, man, there's, uh, the merry wives of Windsor, um, all's well that ends well, <laughs> all, all the, uh, tales about King Henry. Um, man, I know there's like a lot I'm forgetting right now. The Tempest, uh, uh, Hamlet, Hamlet. Wow, I can't believe I forgot that one. That, and that was, and, and that is my by far favorite one, um, Ophelia, uh, G. And um, I think Hamilton would be the most applicable one as well. But it, you, you get the point. There are so many different stories about William Shakespeare that uh, apply today, and even the, the some of the names used in his 
plays or some of his like his spouse's name is even applicable to some of the celebrities today and hathaway you know i mean there's evidence of it uh over the years and it's just something fascinating but you know funny enough i spent i don't know how many minutes talking about that just now but all that to say uh today's a fantastic day it's one of those days where an appreciation of the complete works of William Shakespeare. It's why not watch a, a show or, or read one of the plays or or even hell, if you get the opportunity to go to Broadway and actually see one, because one of the greatest plays I've actually seen on Broadway in New York, New York was uh, Rotten Tomatoes. And that was a, a, a satirical play um, on boy, I can't think of which, it was great. <laughs> I'm not going to ruin it. I'm not going to try to uh, uh, give it too much breath, but it, it, it was it was worth every penny. And those are f phenomenal actors and actresses. Um, but that's not why we're here today. So today, uh, I just want to introduce a concept that will be discussed in the second edition of the Dear Human Paradox book. But it is extremely applicable to the things that we're going to be talking about in the next... Uh, couple iterations of, of this show. And it's something that a lot of people are probably unfamiliar with because it's only uh, applicable to a very specific population and that population being the uh, elite athlete population. But the, the great thing about this is, is when we're able to take these concepts and translate them to something that is applicable to the um, average or enthusiast population. And that is the athlete's maxim. So by definition, an, uh, a maxim is just a short statement expressing a general truth or a rule of conduct. So it's something that someone would live by based on moral principles or virtue principles, or um, it, it's, it's subjective to one's own philosophy. Now, with that being said, we can translate one's own philosophy to a certain sect of the athlete population because there are certain things that one has to do in order to get to what we call peak human performance. And that is subjective to the individual, right? But though we mention it frequently, there is no blueprint. There's, there's no one blueprint to all 8 billion plus humans on earth. However, there are foundational principles that you should follow in order to give yourself the best possible chance of optimization. And if one was able to adopt those principles, then they could, in theory, self-optimize. And that is a, a sovereign power that no one could give or take away. Now, uh, understandably, no one else knows your body like you do. Um, not even your doctor, not even your 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 biological parents, um, not your spouse, your partner, your brother, your sister, anyone else, you. So in order to understand those inner workings, it's it's like step one, step two, step three, uh, the many things that we talked about before, but that is a, a a general responsibility of the user. And this idea of the athlete's maxim is just the statement of acknowledgement that though. I may have conceptual limitations to my performance. The conformal limitations are within my control. And 
I, I love to discuss the dichotomy of conformal and conceptual limitations because it translates to the the psychological discipline of nature versus nurture, right? What do you have at birth that you can change through that may only show throughout maturation, but that you may actually have some influence over. And though we will spend um, an ample amount of time talking about the dichotomy or uh, dialectic debate of nature versus nurture, um, the athlete's maxim takes that another step, right? To to alter this concept of the athlete's maxim, one must first establish this the idea of self awareness. So this uh, uh, is actually unfortunately targeted to that specific population for that reason, because in order to be an elite athlete, it is they have very very clearly demonstrated the level of self awareness to. Um, under to 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 not only understand their body and their ability to perform but to alter that and implement that in dip, different settings to compete right because those are two very different things there are some sports where it's just you and you don't have to compete against anyone um, other than yourself if you really want to call that someone you're competing against but when you have to compete against a crowd for example or you have to compete against uh, uh, another opponent there is a there is a totally different thought process, a totally different, uh, uh, pattern of cognition that goes into that. Um, and this maxim is understanding what limitations you may be given and what limitations are within your control. So that statement of though, I understand that I have conceptual limitations to my performance, the conformal limitations are within my control is going to be one of the most powerful statements that one could use throughout the dear human paradox. And if you have read my book or have not, I talk about that quite frequently um, because there is a certain, uh, how you say wall to, and it's like an invisible wall to performance. I can like the whole glass ceiling concept, right? If you don't acknowledge that it exists is one thing, but if you acknowledge it exists, but you don't even try to break through it, that's another thing. Um, there are some athletes that don't even question it. They're like, look, this is what I got. <laughs> this is all I'm ever going to be able to have. Okay. And then there are other athletes that's like, hey, this is what I got, but I have a feeling I can do more. And that's this idea of uh, the, the athlete's maxim. So before we go too far into it because there's going to be plenty of episodes where we talk about it. And I promise the more we talk about it, the more you stick around, the more sense it will make um, conceptual limitations. <clears throat> so when we talk about the first half of the athlete's maximum, we break it down into two parts. Conceptual limitations are going to be your nature. What is it that you are given as far as performance? Um, yeah, don't you like to use the word obligations as far as performance parameters that you have from birth, right? These are things like Height, um, eye color, perhaps hair color. Those things are like biological inheritance, but we're, we're speaking more of physical factors. And I don't want to give too much away, which is why I kind of stopped with just one. But um, we can even go as far to say as muscle fiber type and muscle fiber quantity. Um, but I don't want to talk too much about that in this episode, but conceptual limitations are going to be what 
biological factors did you get from genetic inheritance that are going to promote or inhibit your performance? And it's, it's quite difficult to understand what those are because there's a certain point of maturation where, uh, performance is going to be, is going to be ideal, right? That's where the hormonal environment is going to be the highest. That's when, you know, you're going to be the the most flexible. That's when you've had the least influence from, from outside experience and you're not, you're not old, crusty and bitter yet. Uh, and you're in your, your body and your brain are still learning. Um, but it's, it's the, it's the, what makes that difficult is what are the environmental factors, right? Those conformal limitations, which I kind of just gave it away. The conformal limitations are, are exactly what it says. Conform. What can you change? And there is a strong difference between the two when it comes to performance. And the athlete's maxim is how one can acknowledge the difference between the two. Because though you and, and I'll give I'll, I'll give a, I'll give a prime example. Right. Since I already mentioned height. Um, and forgive me if this seems all over the place because I don't write like a script or anything. <laughs> it's completely unscripted. So I'm just trying to go through this to make it make sense um, outside of nerd talk. But since we gave the example of height, right, consider height a conceptual limitation. You can't alter your height um, without things that aren't permanent. Um, and if that is possible right now, I, <laughs> somebody needs to tell me because I I just I just blasphemed. Right. Um but let's let's agree let's let's agree on the the common the common thought that you can't change height right that's that's what's given to you that's a conceptual limitation a conformal limitation would be vertical leap now height does not equate to vertical leap though you can't train your height you can train your vertical leap and there are measures that you can uh, implement in order to know if what you're doing is going to uh, promote it or inhibit it, right? It's it's the the trainability of human physiology, which again, I don't want to dive too deep into that because we're going to talk about it again in later episodes. But height is not something that you can train. Vertical leap is if you can train your calf muscles, if you can train your squat, you can do a box step up test, you can do do jump tests that are weighted, you can do a T test. There are so many different things that you can do to test uh, and 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 promote greater vertical leap. Now, there this is applicable to 99.9% of different athletic uh, measures and performance factors. And it happens on on just such a finite scale that most of the time it, it's missed. Like even sports performance professionals that do this don't even understand how this concept works. You know, they, they, it, it's a question that's not even asked in roles where people get paid millions of dollars to do it. Right. And then they don't understand why. Uh, the athlete doesn't take it upon themselves to to do certain things that are going to overcome this idea that though they may be short, you know, that this I can't jump very high either. I just, you know, I'm just kind of limited in this perspective. But regardless of if you have conceptual limitations, there are conformal limitations that are directly within your control. And 
I don't want to mention this, but I will mention in this episode, one of the best ways we can do this now is how research is evolving to the understanding of muscle fiber types. If one is conceptually upon birth, given a certain amount of type one, uh, slow oxidative fiber types. So ones that are, uh, frequented in endurance, endurance exercises or, or in aerobic environments, like a lot of oxygen, um, they can change the conformal performance of those muscle fiber types to perform more like type 2A or type 2X, ones that are more fast glycolytic that use, that require less oxygen or no oxygen at all, and um, more of a resistance environment, right? This it's kind of like this whole idea of hybrid performance, but in the idea that you can shift one to one side versus the other. And this is not just elite athletes, ladies and gentlemen, this is not just top athletes, Olympic athletes. These are everyday people, right? Because the only difference between an elite athlete and an athlete is the trainability. And the only difference between an enthusiast and an athlete is training and self-awareness. The only difference between uh, a sedentary person and an enthusiast is actionability. I mean, there's there's certain steps that one could take to just keep going up the totem pole. <laughs> and, and it seems very simple when I present it like that, because it is. It's all about understanding um, that there is a difference between the two, right? There are certain things that you will not be able to change, but for everything that you can't change, there are two things that you can. So you may not be able to change your height, but you can change your vertical leap and you can, you can change your vertical performance in general. Um, so it'll give some athletes the advantage being taller, of course, but height doesn't equate to coordination. You know, some, some athletes are super tall. Uh, I mean, even people in general, like not just, just forget athlete in general. Some just people are super tall, but have zero freaking coordination. They, they can't, they couldn't jump to grab a ball to save their lives. They couldn't jump to try to spike a ball or hit a ball. And, and you know, it's, it's almost like, man, what you got all that height for, bro? You're like six, six and you, you're not, you're not even using it. <laughs> so, uh, and the same thing goes for, um, if, if someone is short, right, just because someone is short doesn't mean that they won't have a great a shorter doesn't mean they won't have a greater vertical leap um, because they can train it. Just like if someone who's tall, you can train them to have a greater vertical leap or to be coordinated. But with the mindset, the you know, as we mentioned in episode in the first episode, the yielding mentality to get there or to ask the questions like, though, I have conceptual limitations to my performance. There are conformal limitations that I can alter. One could never make it happen. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to leave it right there because if not, we're going to be here all day, but the athletes maxim will be discussed in greater detail. Just stick with me and I promise it'll all make sense. But until next time, stay durable, my friends.